Welcome, dear viewers and listeners, to another episode of Cracking Addiction. My name is Thalitha Naren, and I'm a General Practitioner in Addiction Medicine Advanced Trainee here in Melbourne, and I'd like to introduce my co-host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong, who's an Addiction Medicine Specialist in Melbourne, as well as being a General Practitioner and Lifestyle Medicine Specialist. Fergal, good to have you on the podcast again. Uh, great, Thalitha, uh, to be here, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to to be working with someone so, who is so passionate about the subject of addiction medicine. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about alcohol and alcohol use disorder, which is a growing problem in our society. And I was going to throw to you, Fergal, with a question, which is probably a question that's difficult to answer, but try and do your best. How big a problem is alcohol in our society? Well, the, it, it depends how you define it. Now, we, we have a national household survey that is performed every three years. And the most recent national household survey, the data was collected in 2019 and the results were presented in 2020, so quite recent data. And in this, in this survey, randomly 20,000 Australians are surveyed on their drug use, including alcohol. And from that data, we think that approximately a quarter of Australians binge drink. We think that about 16% of Australians drink to harmful levels, and about 9% of Australians are, are teetotal. So those are the, that's the self-reported data for consumption patterns. And, and that begs lots of questions like, what is the definition of binge drinking, and what is the definition of harmful drinking, which I'm sure you'll come to. But yeah, as I've said, that gives you the, the, the state and self-reported consumption patterns. But then another way of looking at the problem of alcohol is to actually look at the burden of disease. So, you know, we can analyze how much of an effect does alcohol have upon Australian society in terms of sickness. And for men in the age groups of 15 to 44, alcohol and the complications thereof are the greatest cause of the burden of disease. Over the age of 44, you tend to get alcohol still in the top five, but that at that point you start getting chronic diseases uh, rearing their ugly heads, so the consequences of hypertension and metabolic syndrome, etc. And if we compare that with women, actually alcohol doesn't figure as the first cause of burden of disease in women in those age groups, but it, it's, it's kind of in the top five. But actually, interesting, it's actually abuse and domestic violence, which figures as the biggest cause of burden of disease in women between the ages of 15 and 44. So it's an interesting gender mix in terms of how much disease does alcohol cause in our society. And it's an interesting point you raise, Fergal, because when we think of the ages 15 to 44, mm. those are your peak ages for learning, mm. for employment, yep. for setting yourself up for retirement, yep. and also reflecting on the gender imbalance yeah. where alcohol is the main cause of ill health and morbidity for adult males yeah. but abuse and domestic violence which one could argue are often influenced by alcohol exactly. use yeah. are the are the impacts on women yeah. you could argue quite feasibly that alcohol is the biggest cause of morbidity and mortality in our community would you say that's fair i i think it's really fair i also think it's depressing from a personal note because you've just said that under the age of 44 is when you set yourself up for retirement. I speak to you as one who's over the age of 44, and I have yet to set myself up for retirement. But yes, everything else that you've said, I agree with. 
So going back to a somewhat simple question, but also a bit of complexity here. How does alcohol work on our bodies? That's a very good question. So on, on the one hand, we can see that it is a global depressant of neurological function. But if we delve a little more, bit more deeply, it depresses neurological function. So it depresses the function of glutamate, which is the main neuroexcitory amino acid transmitter. And it augments um, GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid. It augments that inhibitory neurotransmitter function. So basically, it, makes, it causes the brain to go to a state of inhibition, which is why we say it's a, it's a depressant. However, we also have to uh, understand how it works on the reward pathway. And there's, there's basically two structures. There's the ventral tegmental area, which then sends a signal to the nucleus accumbens. And it is a release of dopamine in the nucleus accumbens that causes reward, that maintains addiction. So alcohol, the effect of alcohol is to ultimately increase dopamine in the nucleus accumbens, and therefore that gives it its addictive properties. Now, alcohol activates... Now, forgive me for saying this, uh, listeners and uh, viewers who don't understand neuropsychopharmacology, forgive me for what I'm about to say, but alcohol stimulates presynaptic metabotropic glutamate type 5 receptors. That basically has the net effect of inhibiting uh, the release of glutamate. So we know that it, it uh, is a depressant. It also activates presynaptic GABA receptors and it also activates uh, postsynaptic GABA, B, uh, GABA A receptors. In the ventral tegmental area, the disinhibition of neurons firing from the ventral tegmental area to the nucleus accumbens, mediated by alcohol acting on GABA receptors, then causes a release of dopamine. So, to summarize, the action of alcohol on the reward pathway increases dopamine causing addiction. The total action of alcohol on the brain as inhibiting neuro, uh, excitatory neurotransmission causing a rebound neurotransmission rise in glutamate levels is the reason why we have to use medication to treat alcohol withdrawal. So basically, alcohol works to increase dopamine levels in parts of the brain yeah. so you feel really good, yeah. but paradoxically, it's slowing you down. Mm -hmm. And then when you actually stop drinking alcohol, mm -hmm. Because your brain and your body is so used to the slowed down system that you've got, mm -hmm. the body has been trying to produce more of these glutamate, more glutamate levels. Yeah. And then when you're stopped drinking yeah. and you're in withdrawal, your body's firing on all cylinders, yeah. which is why it's so unpleasant when you stop drinking when you're a heavy drinker. Yeah. Have I summarized that in a fair way, Fergal? Yeah, and I, I mean, the fact that we're wanting to summarize it. Uh, means that we're both actually struggling to, to communicate what is really a very complex subject in very simple terms. So let me try it again. Alcohol withdrawal occurs because of the unopposed neuroexcitation of the brain. And that neuroexcitation is predominantly glutamate, but it's also associated with increases in dopamine. Hence, we get the, uh, the visual hallucinations and the quasi-psychotic features of alcohol withdrawal. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's a very complicated subject, the pathophysiology of alcohol dependency and withdrawal. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully going on to easier fare now, what is a standard drink? <laughs> I thought you said it was going to be easier. <laughs> <laughs> right, so in Australia, a standard drink is 10 grams of alcohol, but wouldn't it be lovely if a standard drink was the same throughout the world? In the United Kingdom, a standard drink, I believe, is 8 grams of alcohol, and in the United States, standard drink is 14 grams of alcohol. So all of the definitions of what is harmful, hazardous in drinking and what is binge drinking are dependent on understanding the alcohol concentrations of what a standard drink is in the country where from the definitions arise. So, you know, we, we have, you know, we, we are heavily influenced by the United States of the National Institute on Alcohol and Alcohol Addiction defines binge drinking with reference to a standard drink as being 14 grams. But thankfully, one of the definitions of binge drinking that I like, like coming from the NIAAA is actually a measured amount of alcohol in the bloodstream. So a BAC of 0.8, sorry, correction, a BAC of 0.08, uh, they define that as binge drinking. And they say that to get to 0.08, which remember, 0.05 is our drink drive limit. So to get to 0.08, um, you, you, they say that men have to drink five drinks and women have to drink uh, four drinks within a day to get there. So that's one definition of binge drinking. Another definition of binge drinking is, as according to the national, the NHMRC here in Australia, they define the maximum safe amount of alcohol to drink in a day as four standard drinks, which in Australian units is is uh, is ten grams. So that's forty grams of alcohol. So anything above the safe limit in a day in Australia could theoretically be defined as binge drinking. So. You know, even the definitions are varied. And we talk about the safe drinking limits of four standard drinks per day, and that's also 10 standard drinks in a week, yeah. ideally. Yeah. With regards to other groups of interests, uh, say, for example, with women who are pregnant or breastfeeding, is there any safe drinking limit with regards to pregnant women or breastfeeding women? Again, that's fraught with debate. I mean, you know, I, there was always this argument, you know, surely you can have a couple of drinks in pregnancy and, you know, let's be pragmatic about it. And, you know, previously I've read evidence, especially coming, coming from the United Kingdom, uh, the, Royal, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, where they suggested, look, to get, you know, to experience the risks of alcohol on baby, you kind of need to be drinking one or two drinks a day, or sorry, more than one or two drinks a day. So there was this acknowledgement that, or this pragmatism in terms of saying, look, one or two drinks a day for pregnant women is okay. More recently, the Australian guidelines have very much come out in favor of saying there's absolutely no minimum safe level of alcohol consumption in pregnancy. So what we're trying to say is it's a continuum of risk all the way down to zero which means that really the safest option in terms of advice is to say that there is no such thing as a safe drink in pregnancy or breastfeeding for that matter. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, there was, there's also uh, other uh, evidence to suggest that, you know, the, the significant risk of fetal alcohol syndrome really only occurs when you start drinking six drinks a day in that, in that critical time period when, you know, the brain is being developed, you know, those, those week four. So coming back to that, Fergal, what is hazardous drinking? Well, remember, you know, 16% um, of Australians engage in hazardous drinking, and that's been defined by various tools such as the audit tool. So a score on the audit score of, uh, I think, anything between 8 and 15 is hazardous drinking. But I suppose hazardous drinking is, is, is the level of drinking that exposes people to the risk of harm 
which then brings us to the concept of well, what what are the harms associated with alcohol and there are there are over 250 diseases that are linked either directly or indirectly to excessive alcohol consumption but you know broadly speaking i see uh, the harms of alcohol as the psychological issues associated with with depression the neurological diseases associated with chronic cerebellar degeneration and atrophy and also uh, Wernicke's encephalopathy, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot in, in future episodes. And then we have the, you know, the peripheral neuropathies, and we have the cardiovascular causes of, of, of disease associated with alcohol, including alcoholic cardiomyopathy, hypertension. Then we've got the liver uh, diseases, so fatty liver, hepatitis, uh, cirrhosis, and hepatoma, or hepatocellular carcinoma. And then we've got the neuroendocrine problems associated with the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis dysfunction, so testicular atrophy in men. And then, of course, we need to understand that alcohol causes cancer. So any level of alcohol has been implicated in certain levels of cancer. More than four standard drinks a day for a long time has been implicated in other types of cancers. But broadly speaking, you're thinking about cancers of the, the upper, upper aerodigestive tract, the larynx, the tongue, the esophagus, the rectum, the colon, and then we've got the solid uh, cancers like the liver or breast or prostate. So these are all uh, cancers that can occur as a result of excessive alcohol use. So to answer your question, hazardous alcohol consumption is any amount of alcohol that is consumed that causes harm. But it would also be seen in terms of drinking in excess of the new NHMRC guidelines, which is the 10-4 rule. So, you know, any, any more than uh, four standard drinks a day will put you at risk of accidental harm and any more than 10 standard drinks a week over prolonged periods of time exposes you to that risk of harm and the development of other chronic diseases. So it's a, it's a complicated subject, the, the pathophysiology of alcohol. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's something to think about because a lot of us think of hazardous drinking as being intoxicated mm. and the harms associated with intoxication. Mm. Whereas there's so many other harms later on downstream yeah. that we're not thinking about, yeah. harms to our long-term health and our mortality yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's a very apt point, I think, to finish this episode on. So please be sure to like, subscribe, and tell your friends and family about this episode. And you can see us on the MedHeads YouTube channel as well as all the major podcast directories. Yeah.